Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Sili, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hi everyone, today on the show, we're gonna talk to Dr. Melina Roberts. She's a naturopathic doctor, the author of Building a Healthy Child. She's a TEDx speaker and founder of Advanced Naturopathic Medical Center in Calgary, Alberta. She's recognized as one of the top biological medicine practitioners in North America. She is a leading authority in the field of naturopathic medicine, specializing in biological medicine effectively treating digestive issues, complex chronic disease, and cancer. Dr. Roberts is a graduate of the University of Waterloo and the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto. She did a two-year postgraduate study in biological medicine with Paracelsus Clinic in Switzerland. So today we're going to talk a lot about her book, Building a Healthy Child. Um, So let's just get into the interview. Hi, Dr. Molina. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, whenever I start, I like to ask everyone why they got into working in this space. And you have a very special book. Um, <laughs> what got you inspired to write a book on children? So um, my story, uh, really, like I think most people's story, is personal experience. So as a kid, I was a kid who had really bad allergies and eczema. And when I was about 13, a family friend said to my parents, you know, you should try taking her to see a naturopathic doctor. And, um, you know, at that time, we had no idea what a naturopathic doctor was. We didn't know what they did or if they could help me. Um, But we were really just open-minded to try something different because nothing else had worked so far. And we tried... we tried seeing this naturopathic doctor and really within a few months of seeing this doctor and following all of his recommendations, all of my allergies cleared up. So to me, it was like magic because I didn't understand anything of how it all worked. And, um, but that was really like my first realization that the body had the ability to be able to heal itself. And uh, just going through school, um, I actually decided to uh, go into naturopathic medicine um, and be able to affect people's lives the same way that this doctor had affected mine and so that people don't have to suffer unnecessarily. And I did that and then a um, uh, in my second year in school, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So this was... Uh, pretty tough on me because my dad was someone who was very important person in my life and um, so it was very challenging thing for me to go through and what I started to do is I just started to do a ton of research into natural therapies for cancer and I came across a lot of amazing answers I was just amazed about how much information there was in scientific journals that were actually effective treatments for cancer Um, unfortunately I I didn't have enough time and um, my dad passed away um, nine short months later, but that really started me on the road to focusing on cancer. Um, and so that ended up being really the focus of my my practice is that I was treating a lot of cancer patients. And then uh, fast forward a few years more is that um, I got pregnant and Um, As a mother, I wanted to make sure I gave my daughter the best start in life. And when I was looking at how I treated my cancer patients and my complex chronic disease patients, what I realized is that I always had to heal their gut. Their digestive tract was just central to what was going on with all of their different health conditions. So... Um, I wondered when I had my daughter, I wondered if it was possible for me to be able to build her gut health properly from the beginning. And that's really the basis of my book of building a healthy child is um, how do we build a child's gut health properly from the beginning so that we can provide 
prevent a lot of the childhood illnesses, um, like the the regular stuff, like colic, um, constipation, diarrhea, and then all of the stuff that I had, which was the allergies, the rashes, the eczema, and then also help to build long-term health so that she doesn't have these chronic diseases later on in life. So um, that's kind of my long story of how I came to uh, do what I'm doing today because it seems a little different that my focus is on chronic disease and cancer and then I wrote a book about building a healthy child. But really if you go back to the basics um, we can prevent a lot of chronic disease if we build healthy children. Yeah, you know, it really makes a lot of sense, right? Um, we're always trying to fight fires when there's a, there's a diagnosis. We don't really think about going back to, you know, the, the beginning of it all and how to make sure that we um, almost like, you know, fortify our, our children's bodies so that they're able yeah. to withstand all of that and kind of just even beat those odds and and not be, not get those chronic illnesses in the first place. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, I, I like what you said. You said that you're trying to build her gut, right? Um, and, and that's a very different way of thinking about it. Everyone talks about supporting it and, and you know, just making sure everything is okay. But you're actually just talking about, you know, starting from scratch and yeah. building it up, right? And yeah. so what does that entail? Um, yeah, that's how I like to think of it. I think of it as like building a solid foundation of health in our children. And what you need to do in terms of building that solid foundation is that we have to have a healthy environment in order to build it. And then we also need to have all of the right building blocks in order to build that healthy gut. So, um, you know, like when you go back to to how that gut health begins, you start off with um, with birth. So at birth, when babies are born, they when they are born through the vaginal canal, they are inoculated with a whole bunch of bacteria from mom. And what they've shown in studies is that a baby who is born via C-section versus a v baby that's born via vaginal delivery, they have actually very different gut floras. So um, in these cases, what we wanna do, I know that sometimes C-sections are needed and necessary, um, but if they do have a C-section, then what you want to do is you want to take a swab from mum and put it into baby's mouth so that we can, again, inoculate them with the right bacteria. So this is the beginning. And then and another way that baby continues to get um, this good gut flora is they get it from breastfeeding. So ideally, um, we want mom to be breastfeeding because this is going to make a big difference in terms of building that gut health. And then the next way is, is how baby interacts with the environment. Um, so this is everything from baby needs to play in dirt um, and, you know, not be afraid to get dirty. We don't want a whole bunch of hand sanitizers. And... The other thing is, is that it's how we introduce foods to our babies is going to help to build up that good gut flora. And that's what I go through in my book is I go through how do we introduce foods in a way that builds their gut flora properly from the beginning. Because what we've learned is that between birth and age three, we build the foundation of their gut flora. So we have this small window of opportunity where we can actually build a solid foundation of health in our children. So I'd, I'd say that this is an opportunity for us to make sure we're introducing the right foods in those age groups. Um, and one of the other things that um, I realized in my, in my research was that, um, that there's this thing called ontogenetics and it is based on the understanding of um, child development. So it's looking at that child development from embryo to adulthood. And what we want to be doing is we want to be actually introducing foods in line with how their organs are maturing. 
So one of the key ones in terms of that introduction is that the pancreas doesn't reach full maturation until age two. So the pancreas is what releases amylase, which is what breaks down grains. So this means that we shouldn't be introducing grains until um, age two or later. And one of the challenges is that one of the first foods that a lot of people are introducing to their babies at six months old is cereal. And this is one of the worst things we could be doing because babies don't have the enzymes to properly break down those grains. And so this can be doing a huge disservice to babies. So that's one of the key things is that we wanna hold off on grains until after they're two, until after that pancreas is fully developed. So the, those are just you know some of the ways that we're, we're looking at the gut and really helping to build that solid foundation. Yeah, and you know, it's it's really um, interesting that when you talk about grains, right, it's something that not many of us really know a lot about that. And, and then there's all this marketing that has been thrown off at parents constantly about, you know, um, fortified grains and, and how good that is because it's kind of meeting a lot of the nutritional gaps in, in a baby's diet, especially since they, it's, it's you know, it goes hand in hand with a lot of formula marketing that is thrown at parents. So it's like you're giving them both of those things um, together to kind of make them, you know, to, to nourish their bodies. Um, and so how can parents now start, like think if they have to start reintroducing, introducing foods for the first time to children, what should they be doing? What should they be, where should be, they be starting? Yeah, so the first foods that you want to be introducing are hypoallergenic vegetables. So those are going to be like your broccoli, cauliflower, um, greens, and you also want to introduce some healthy fats like avocados. So those are your first foods. Um, I start with vegetables and healthy fats. Um, and then I go into fruits um, because we want babies to really start to use their taste buds. And I find that when you introduce these vegetables as a first food, as opposed to introducing fruits that are really sweet, it actually makes kids uh, better vegetable eaters later in life because they actually are starting to use those taste buds and are getting used to what food actually tastes like. I think one of the mistakes we often make is that we start to like combine foods. So we're like, oh, well, you know, just the broccoli by itself probably tastes really gross. So I'm going to add in some carrots into that to help their taste buds, but they are just actually learning what everything tastes like. So it's okay, don't add anything else. Don't need, add, don't need to add any even herbs or anything. Just let them know what broccoli itself tastes like. Then let them know what cauliflower tastes like. Then avocados on their own. And you're gonna end up with a kid who actually eats their vegetables because they're not they're not looking for that sweet taste and we're not combining things. We're actually letting the, them actually start to use those taste buds and know what food actually tastes like. Because at that age, they're, they're just so anxious to, to just taste something different. And um, so it doesn't, doesn't matter. I know they're going from a sweet taste of breast milk but um, but there's just other tastes out there. So this also helps to like expand their palates. Yeah, and it's some, I, I can't remember where I read it, but they were talking about this being such a great opportunity to introduce bitter foods. So yeah, like the, the, the green vegetables that might have like a bitter undertone to it, but that this is a great time to introduce them to those flavors, um, which they might um, resist later on when they're a little bit older. But at this point, if you're able to expand their palate, like you said, it really goes a long way. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that's probably one of the, the challenges that parents always say is that, uh, you know, um, they always, uh, you know, as, as human beings, um, we always put our bias um, into everything we're doing. And, and often the bias is like, oh, no, I can't give them that because that tastes gross on its own. Right. And, you have to try to remove that bias as you introduce foods and you know even just like making up your face as you feed them you know you're you're trying to make it playful and fun and um, make them enjoy the process because if you go oh they're totally not going to like this and you're making up your face you know they they can read that you know kids are pretty intuitive especially at those ages and we want to keep them intuitive <laughs> and a lot of times like you said it's it's what our preferences of foods are or our combinations of food is what we're almost projecting at them um, yeah. really thinking that we're not really doing them a great service I mean you'll you'll have a lot of grandparents saying oh my poor baby give them something fun to eat give them something sweet to eat give them like a, a sweet potato if you know if anything right like it's like almost like a cry for help but you're actually doing a great service to the child because it's not something um in in like you know that small space of like a few years but it's something that's going to last with them for a lifetime yeah, and I, I definitely see that. Um, I see that in my own child, and I see that in other kids that um, have followed the same program. It's um, you get to see, you know, because p- that's the question we're like, how? That's what question we get later in life is, you know, I got a picky eater. They don't eat anything, and 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 can sometimes come back down to like how were foods introduced, and um, you know, sometimes people they crave the sweet because that's all you gave them was the carrots and the sweet potatoes and um and all of the fruits um as those first foods um as opposed to starting with some of those bitter foods as you'd mentioned which um most people would say oh wouldn't taste good on its own but you know they're just exploring and learning and and we gotta we gotta start with start with um like really those hyperallergenic vegetables as those first foods yeah. You know, you said that we should try not to like mix and match them too much in the beginning. How long should that really be going on for? I'd say those even those first couple years, um, e- even if you're just giving them, you know, you can even like what I would do would I would make like big batches of foods. So I would um, basically steam some broccoli and then uh blend it up with the water that I'd steamed it in and and then put it into these um, ice cube trays and freeze them and then I would take out them out of the ice cube trays and put them into a Ziploc bag and a freezer and put them in the freezer and so then I had a huge batch of broccoli and we would just like pull those out as we needed for different meals and um, so it doesn't mean that their meal only had one thing but when you're in Introducing, you're just introducing one food at a time and then just waiting three days, seeing if they have any reaction. And the body can have um, really like any reaction is the body's way of communicating with you. So whether they have like a runny nose and they get congested or um, they have um, some sort of skin rash that's showing up or they get a diaper rash that shows up. All of these can be signs that that food isn't working for them. And so you pull back on that food and you might introduce that food maybe like a month later. But um, it's, yeah, so it's really like paying attention to those little signs that something is um, out of balance in the body. And, you know, it's, it's something that we as even adults need to learn to do. We need to start listening to our bodies because that's something that we, we definitely ignore. We don't, we don't often listen to our bodies and it's definitely a learned skill. And so, um, so, you know, that's what these, these little ones are helping us to do is helping us to learn more about um, ourselves through them. And one of the ways we can do that is um, listening and um, watching for those signs as you introduce foods. And I think that's really important 
I think what we do is we try to introduce those foods um, early in the day instead of introducing a food as a dinner food and then putting them to bed and not necessarily knowing what that reaction can be. So it gives us like the whole day to have to watch them and see if there's, if there's any reaction to these foods. But when you build this foundation right from the beginning, we really prevent what I've seen is that we've been able to prevent really like um, I've had people who've actually followed this program completely have had like zero food allergies, zero eczema, zero rashes, right? So it's not just a decrease in the amount. Um, it's, it's, um, you're building things properly from the beginning. So that's, that's what makes this, um, so important to be doing, I think. <laughs> I think it's amazing. And the fact that, you know, they've literally, if you, you're saying zero eczema and zero allergies is just, you know, it blows your mind, especially with what we're seeing and the numbers that we're seeing in children all around us, right? Like they say, if you go into a kindergarten, you'll have some children with allergy, there'll be a few with, with eczema. So it's, it's, there's a lot of chronic disease in children and very, very young now. And so by introducing foods this way and, and allowing them to eat like a broader array of food, what is that really doing for them? I know that in your book, you talk about, you know, the, the, three-step um, program that you're looking at and how to build um, their their gut and their bodies, right? And so by feeding them foods like this in this fashion, how is that helping children? And then keeping them away from like atopy and things like that. Yeah, so introducing foods in this way is a way that we can actually help to build up their gut flora, um, so it's, it's a healthy um, right from the beginning. There's, there's some interesting things in terms of, first of all, we want to be feeding um, the healthy bacteria. We want to be giving them, um, we want to basically build, be building that solid foundation for their microbiome. And, um, and then we want to actually also allow some time to actually build up the the, mu the health of that mucous membranes as well. Um, what we know is that babies are actually born with a hyperpermeable gut. So, which means that they are, they are born with like basically a leaky gut. And that um, and that's by design. The reason is, is because it's so that they can absorb as much nutrients from breast milk and from those early foods as possible in order to, for them to grow as quickly as they are, are growing. You know, they grow faster than, at that stage than they do at any other stage in their lives. So they need to be getting the nutrients in. So we, that's why you want to be giving them the proper foundation. We want to be giving them the proper foods to heal and uh, build up that healthy microbiome. And then you want to also be giving them the foods that they can um, absorb the nutrients from in order to build the cells of their body. Um, this is these are these play a really important role, right? Because we want to be giving your body the building blocks to build a healthy microbiome. When you have a healthy microbiome, you have a healthy immune system that's building long-term health. You're building that foundation. Um, you also want to give the body the healthy. You want to be giving the body the all of the healthy building blocks in order to build them. And part of giving your body those healthy building blocks is that you want to be feeding our kids real foods. So um, in so many cases, um, parents are feeding their kids processed foods. They're giving their kids foods that are, have been chemically latent with pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, GMOs, antibiotics, right? So all of those additives, preservatives, right? All of those different chemicals that are coming into their body and now their body has to deal with that. So we wanna be giving our kids foods that are actually real foods because our bodies have actually been hardwired since the beginning of time to break down real nutrient dense foods, not all of these chemically latent foods. So then, um, so that's part of giving your body and building a body strong is that you want to be giving the body all of those proper building blocks. So that that also goes into 
um, the why of what we're doing and how this is actually building their systems built making sure we give the body those proper building blocks um, so that we can build their system strong and also build their gut health so their gut health is um, in good balance as well so I hope that answers your question I know I kind of go off on tangents a bit (laughs) I think this is great and I think from just from that um, one of the questions that just popped in my head was you know now they're giving you um, dietary guidelines of how to start and introduce foods to children and and one of those things um includes you know giving them nuts much earlier right and and you do talk about you know that their body kind of matures at different points of organs um and then just having those enzymes to break a lot of these things down um and and then there, there's such a direct connection to allergies um you know, with, with foods like peanuts, for example. Yeah. Um, how, how do you recommend that parents go about that? Yes. So, and I know that this is um, super controversial and, um, but I think that um, what happens is that in t- what you need to know is that in terms of our body's immune system, um, you know, about 80% of our immune system is actually housed in our gut. And what happens is that um, on so first of all we have like that that microbiome and that microbiome needs to be built up strong and needs to be in a nice balance and we need lots of diversity in order for it to be healthy. And then then we have the lining of our digestive tract and remember that lining of the digestive tract is quite leaky to begin with um, in those first couple years of life. And then just on the other side of that lining of the digestive tract is your immune cells. And those immune cells can get activated so easily. So um, I know that there has been some recent research that um, shows that introducing foods early can decrease um, some of those reactions. Um, But I find that if we actually take some time, build up that microbiome, help that body, help that lining of the digestive tract to properly heal, allow that immune system to properly develop. If we give the body some time to be able to do that and then introduce some of those hyperallergenic foods, then we actually get we get zero reactions, not just a reduction in the amount of um, allergies, we actually get zero because we're actually doing the groundwork right from the beginning. And I, I find that that's what makes the biggest difference. I think when those studies were done, the, one of the differences with those studies is those studies were done on an average population who, who you know, we don't know if they were vaginal births or if they were C-sections, we don't know if they're breastfed or if they're formula fed. Um, we don't know how they introduced foods. And so yes, for the average population, probably doing those micro uh, introductions of foods early in life may work. But if we want to actually completely eliminate allergies, I think that we have to do the groundwork right from the beginning. So I know there's a matter of opinion, and I've had probably some debates over that, because people are saying that, you know, that's like Stanford research, and that's, that's the best thing that's out there. And I said, well, you got to look at, you know, can we can we completely prevent it? And um, yeah, I would I would welcome them to do research on on my approach. um, Because I know my what I've seen is purely anecdotal. But, um, but I think that if you can do the 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 groundwork right from the beginning, build that immune system strong right from the beginning, then then allergies can um, be completely eliminated. And, you know, it really makes sense um, now that I'm thinking about it. I mean, I did introduce nuts to my son early, and he was probably one of those kids who tolerated it fine. But there are so many out there that don't, right? Um, and then it makes so much sense because you're literally putting in a trigger food in a body that right now is not um, 
it is is not optimally wired like right you're talking yeah. about that being so leaky of course you're going to have a, an, an immune mediated response to that food yeah. and then that's and then it's going to remember that you know next time it eats a peanut that oh my goodness that food is back and it's going to have like another response and maybe a bigger one this time and so it just thinking of it in that sense it it kind of fits and it makes sense to wait and then when you're waiting you're basically using that time to feed them like the other real food that you want them to eat so you're focusing on the vegetables and the proteins and the fats and the things that will really help them um and so you know we've talked about vegetables we've talked a little bit about fats but where do proteins fit into all of this like how do parents introduce that yeah, so I actually introduce proteins uh, relatively early. So I'm introducing them, um, I don't know it off the top of my head, but I think it's around t 10 months or so. So it's, um, and what we're typically doing is that you're puring some animal proteins. And, you know, in an ideal world, you want them to be cleaner sources. So you want them to be um, either like organic grass-fed or you want them to be wild sources just because they're they're cleaner and they're the challenge with our kids is that um you know their capacity to be able to handle toxic loads is a lot lower than an adult and so you know and the challenge is is that a lot of our foods are just infiltrated traded with so much chemicals you know like a lot of animal proteins like they're they're fed gmo grains and um so their their food their their source they've been injected with um antibiotics they're eating foods that have been sprayed with pesticides and herbicides and that just becomes part of the meat it becomes part of their fats and they and then we're asking our kids to be able to take the protein they need and be able to properly detoxify all of these toxins and it just puts an extra load on their liver and their liver isn't again um, if you look at um, how our organs are maturing they are their liver is still at an immature state and so their liver just can't process as many toxic loads as um, as a full-grown adult can so so those are the sort of other things you want to be looking at yes we yeah proteins are completely fine to be introducing but we want to be at cleaner sources especially in these little ones that can't can't handle a higher toxic load yeah and and you know it makes perfect sense a lot of times us adults are not able to to detox um you know at, at the yeah. optimal level so i mean let alone a kid with like just such a small body size and then um, all of those things. One of the things that, you know, I, I hear a lot from, from parents, um, especially when there is this, this whole, you know, if they're breastfed or not, and then, you know, we're all talking more and more about gut bugs and then supplementing with, with probiotics and whether like, you know, and, and how to, to do that. And we know that, that through breast milk, we are inoculating our babies. But for those mothers who either cannot or do not breastfeed there's always this question of like do we start off um with giving them uh, probiotics earlier um in their lifetime how how do you see that um yeah i'm a i'm a strong believer in high quality probiotics um early in life um, I think that because of how toxic the world is that we live in, I think that the, those good, healthy bacteria get killed off so easily and um, that that we need to be um, giving our babies and giving moms uh, probiotics early in life. And that's going to help to give them, that's helping to give them that good foundation. So um, I, yeah, I, I definitely am a, a strong component of probiotics. Um, I know that um, one one of the other things you'd mentioned was of you know some some mothers have, find it challenging to breastfeed, and I definitely know that's a, an issue. And so I think that um, it, the, the challenge to me is that there's not very many good formulas out there. You know, a lot of the formulas are either 
cow dairy based or they're soy based which are both like basically major inflammatory foods so they're not healthy and when you look at the ingredients it just you know breaks my heart to see those ingredients in those formulas you know you'll see like high fructose corn syrup and you'll see like dyes and additives like I don't know what they're thinking when they're when they're putting these formulas together Um, but there are some formulas um, honestly that my patients have researched and found that there's ones that are goat dairy and they're coming out of Germany and they're cleaner Um, they definitely are more costly for us to get um, definitely here in North America Um, I don't know if you guys have some better sources there in Dubai but um, for us it's um, or ordering those ones are you know they're more costly, but it's it's your baby, right? So you're um, you want to be putting putting the healthier sources. And I've also had other patients um, who've been able to get like um, breast milk from like um, like breast uh, babe, breast milk baby banks, right? So so um, which is wonderful that mothers are doing. So they have some extra milk and they donate it to a bank and uh, other mothers can get it. Cause I think like that's, you know, raising raised in a community. I think that's so wonderful to see. So, so those are just some other options I've seen my patients been able to do. And, um, and that's been more helpful for being able to kind of stick to stick to the plan as best they can. Yeah, we're starting to have some of those um, donor breast milk um, groups come up as well. And, and it's just it's just so amazing to have a community like that. Um, yeah. But I, I think I read somewhere that, you know, you also recommend um, a, like an, a, a homemade formula. Um, and yeah. then I think I've read that um, maybe on the Western Price uh, website as well. They also, I think, have a formula that they recommend. Yeah. What do you think about that? Is, is that... Is that a viable option for most people? For sure. Yeah, and I have, yeah, and I have that, um, I think it's in my book or I have it as on my website. Um, But yeah, because I've had patients who've had struggles and I think the homemade uh, formulas also work quite well um, just because, as I said, at this point in time, I haven't seen really many good formulas on the market. So you put it together. Um, I know I think it's probably marketing of the of the formula companies. They say how dangerous it is for you to have homemade formulas, but I think you can make ones that are, are way healthier options for your babies. So it is possible. Just just got to do your research. Yeah, they're way cheaper as well because the the hypoallergenic formula that that is in the market for children with with allergies or CMPA or um, things like that. Like they they're really 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 expensive. Um, oh, are they? Okay. Afford um, to give that to their children. So I feel like this is a great option. I know that one of my clients was then um, she just swapped out to, to goat's milk. Yeah, and, yeah. and it was amazing to see that a lot of the baby's eczema improved as a result of that. Yeah, and that's what I'll typically do, uh, make the formula from a goat milk base. Um, when you look at the proteins of the goat milk, so um, it has a it has a casein protein. So our breast milk has like a really small casein, so it's really easy for us to digest. And the casein in cow's dairy is is quite large. It's quite a large protein. But if you've ever seen a cow in real life, they are large animals. And so they their their proteins are larger because it's designed for their digestive tracts and for their systems. Um, And then a goat goat milk is actually the protein is just a little bit larger than our human protein those goats goats are just smaller animals so their proteins are smaller and it just makes it easier for us humans to be able to metabolize break it down and and make it useful and then it also has a lot of the the goat's milk also has a lot of the the new other nutrients and fats that that our bodies need in order to to grow and thrive yeah. And, you know, so we, a lot of parents listening in might, might have a little bit older kids, right? And so like, okay, we've kind of been through that <laughs> phase and we're, we're kind of beyond that. How can we now at this point help to improve or, or fortify our child's gut, right? What can they do? 
Yeah, so I think that, um, and, and that's also a question I'll often get. So, um, so now, now I I may have not done all the things that you had suggested we do. Um, is it too late? Is there no hope for me and my child? And and there's always hope. It's just that it just takes more work, right, in order for us to get you there. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, my starting point is to remove what I call a major inflammatory foods. So uh, these are the foods that are, are shown to cause damage to that microbiome, that cause damage to the lining of the digestive tract. Um, we know that, you know, um, so, there, so um, I'll tell you the four that I, I recommend removing from the diet and then and then what you want to do is you want to eat lot lots of the other foods right so um uh gluten is one that's shown to be a major inflammatory food cow's dairy and it's because of that protein in it that casein a1 uh sugar white refined sugar um is is definitely problematic and then the other one is industrial oils so those are um they, they get called vegetable oils, but they're actually really unhealthy oils for us to be consuming. So these are like canola oil, corn oil, soy oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil. Um, these are all industrial oils that are actually quite unhealthy for us to be consuming and shown to actually cause damage to our systems. So that to me is your first step, removing those major inflammatory foods. And then what you want to have is you want to have lots of vegetables, lots of healthy fats, and you want to have clean proteins. And, and that should be the essence of your diet. And, and that itself will help to actually build good, healthy gut flora. Yeah, you know, I also get asked a lot about rapeseed oil and whether that kind of, whether we can clump that into the whole vegetable oils um, category. Um, what's your take on that? Yeah, so it it just depends on how it's been processed. Um, th- how they become more problematic oils is that they are uh, they use high heats and they also use um, basically chemicals to extract those oils, and and that's what makes them unhealthy. So if um, if there's other pro- it, yeah, so it depends on how it's processed. Um, if it's been cold pressed. Um, if it's from an organic source, then there is potential that it can be cleaner. Um, and I know that they'll do that, but the challenge is, is that like things like even like canola oil are normally genetically modified. So even if they do it as organic, it, it's still a genetically modified crop. So um, yeah, so I, I'm going to say um, it depends on how it's been processed. So, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, having allergies and and eczema and things like that, but how can parents, like what would be their first um, sign or symptom that they should really be looking out for to say, okay, I think my child's gut might be out of balance. I think I need to start, you know, doing all these things that that you're asking them to do. I mean, we recommend that they do that anyways, but (laughs) when will be that point where like literally they start looking at their child's, um, you know, health overall and say, okay, there's something that needs work. So um, I think that one of the best ways that we can evaluate someone's gut flora which, uh, without actually running any tests on it um, and potentially not even having any symptoms, so being a bit more proactive, is to look at their poos. <laughs> so their uh, bowel movements will give us so much insight into what's actually happening in their digestive tract. And that's one of the best ways we can actually figure out what's going on in terms of their their gut flora and how well their digestive tract is working. So they, especially as babies, they should actually be having a bowel movement with every feeding. Um, So adults, I'll usually say one to three a day. 
But babies, you know, a healthy baby's gut should be having a bowel movement like at least three times a day, usually with every feeding. And then um, depending on what they're eating, so if they're just breastfed, they, they would should be having like these uh, basically these, these yellow, um, yellow kind of poos, thicker kind of poos. And then, and then once they start on solids, um, what you'll see is that they become formed stools. Um, so what if, and, and sometimes it, people will say, well, it's tough to tell because they're in a diaper, but what it should look like is like when it comes out in the diaper, it might be flattened, but it's formed and it can easily hit it off that diaper. If it's sticky, if it's wet, um, or if it um, seems like it's kind of like a little bit more pasty, um, messy, then those are all signs that their gut floor is out of balance. Um, one of the important things I also see with my patients is that um, even babies who are breastfed is that we actually have to look at mum's diet um, because uh, everything that mum eats actually can be moving into uh, breast milk. And this is really important too, is that as I'm working on healing a baby, trying to clear up an eczema or trying to get a baby's um, uh, baby, like working with colic or something like that. Um, what we always, we, you know, I do work on babies, um, detox pathways and putting probiotics in. And, but the other step we got to work on is we actually have to clean up mum's diet um, and I usually you know usually when they come in the clinic the the first thing I'll say to them is I go you realize I, I'm gonna have to work on your diet just to make them aware that you know I'm gonna do it later on in the visit but I just want to make them known that that I'm gonna be working on changing up mum's diet and that's one of the things we do with mum's diet is we remove all of those major inflammatory foods um, and then and then try to clean up their systems so that they're not passing on a bunch of that that toxic load or some of those hyperallergenic foods to to baby and babies reacting to that yeah. so yeah. and it's, it's amazing right how many moms you might have had come back to you saying oh my god i feel so much better right i mean yeah there is so much to that. And then, and, and that's really what we are almost like giving to our kids. Um, we, we go through pregnancy where, you know, moms are more careful about their diets, but once they feel like the baby's here, they can have a little bit more um, leeway with, with what they eat. And they can just kind of, um, we, it's at least society, in, in our society, we kind of think of like, you know, we can relax a little bit, but really not because when you're nourishing your baby's body, I think it's just you need to dial back into your diet so much more to be able to yeah. give them all of that. I know I see that sometimes happen in that um, like even when mom like when you know they're or a couple is struggling to get pregnant and then they finally are pregnant and then they're like oh, okay finally I'm pregnant I can like stop doing all this stuff but it's actually no like now this is still important like you're pregnant but now you got to like keep this plan up because now you're nourishing baby and then yeah then mom's breastfeeding and you're like this is still really important because you got to make sure that like you the milk you're producing is really important and then even after they've stopped breastfeeding it's not like you want to go back to eating fast food because now you also have another thing that goes on is that um, you actually also want to make sure that um, if you want especially if you want to have another child you want to make sure that you keep your system strong so that that your body is actually now ready and replenished for another child because what we realize is that babies are kind of like little leeches and they will like take everything they need from mom in order to make sure that they're healthy and but what happens is that if mom's not doing replenishing mom ends up completely depleted and that's why um and we see this quite frequently is that why we see that um that usually firstborns are, are pretty healthy and then the next children seem to have more 
health issues and the next child has more health issues because mom in between babies didn't do the work to make sure that they built their system up and so then um, the next babies end up being a bit more depleted so that's also something that um, we should also be thinking about is that making sure that we replenish um, replenish between between babies <laughs> and then it's also interesting we had someone come on the show and talk about the fact that all of us in a family, we kind of swap and share our, our microbiome as well. Right? Yeah, yeah. So the bacteria. And so if mom is going to go back to eating the way that she was, or even if because of stress, she's not able to take care of herself, because having a new child can always be hard, it's basically yeah. going to have an effect on everybody else in the family and, and the way that their gut bugs kind of work and function and thrive. Yeah, it's it's very true. So that's why I say like, that's one of the things that how you build your gut flora is your environment and your environment is all the people that you're around. Right. And, and that's so important for actually building a strong immune system and building a healthy microbiome is interacting with other people. So interacting with all the people in your family, um, even your extended family interacting with them that helps to build your microbiome. And, um, and then playing with friends right like um, playing out in nature all of that stuff actually helps to build that microbiome and add to that diversity and make your system stronger yeah well thank you so much there's been so many pearls today i feel like parents can can take away so many important points um, from our conversation today and if they're just able to start just slowly incorporate a lot of these things in, into their daily um, daily lives. I feel like our babies and, and parents themselves can um, have their health to show for that. Yeah, yeah I, where, I, I think so too. <laughs> yeah, where, where can um, people find you uh, and then in your book, where can they get that? So uh, the best place to find me is my website, which is advancednaturopathic.com. Um, my book is called Building a Healthy Child. It is available on Amazon and most places that you can buy books. Um, and and I, I also have it on my website. You'll be able to, you can purchase it there. And, um, and did you ask about social media? Yeah, social, media pro, social media, I, the, probably I the place social. I, <laughs> yeah, social media, the, probably the place I hang out the most is um, Instagram. And my handle there is Dr. Dr. Melina, M-E-L-I-N-A Roberts. So Dr. Melina Roberts is my handle on Instagram. Yeah, this is yeah. great. Um, thank <laughs> you so much for coming on. This has been so, um, so enlightening for all of us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun chatting. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends, and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcasts. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find the show more easily. Visit momenasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive a weekly update. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.